Chapter 7, Part 2 In the sermon series, The Gospel of John Spoken by Pastor Peter on You guys know what it's like When you go through a dark season of life, don't you? It's not fun I think the majority of us in this room We can all identify And we can all say that we have something in common That darkness comes to every single one of us These seasons where life just becomes such a struggle, becomes a grind. And no matter what, it doesn't matter what color of skin you have. It doesn't matter what kind of degrees you have hanging up on your wall. It doesn't matter how much money you have in your bank account. Struggle, pain, all of that stuff, suffering, it shows no discrimination. And so we all go through it. We know what the darkness is like when we lose a job. That's not fun. We know how hard that is. We know what it's like when we go through a season where there's a darkness, where somebody that we love so much actually betrays us. That's painful, especially if it's somebody that you've trusted with your life, a friend, a family member, a spouse, and they end up betraying you. We know what that feels like. We know what it feels like when somebody that we love has been diagnosed with a disease like cancer. And the darkness that ensues because of the thought of having to lose somebody that we love so dearly is overwhelming. Some of us in this room, you know what the darkness of going through a divorce is like. And not only does it affect you, but it affects your children. And it's just deep and it's dark and it's not easy. It's not easy. We know what darkness is like. And here's the reality, though. For many of us, we don't have a theology that understands darkness with God. In fact, a lot of us, if we're going to be really honest... When we go through a season of darkness, we conclude that our faith in God doesn't work. That there's something wrong with my faith or there's something that doesn't make sense. That you start to get really confused about God. And sometimes I actually meet Christians that are afraid to enter into God's presence when they're going through a dark time. They don't think it's safe anymore. They feel that it's actually a precarious place to go into when you're going through darkness. A good friend and mentor of mine, Peter Scazzaro, who wrote a book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, he says that 85% of Christians do not remain faithful when they go through a dark season of life. 85% of Christians. What he means by that is simply this, that they don't grow in their faith, maturation stops once they go through darkness, and so what they do is either they stay paralyzed in where they are in their faith, They don't grow anymore, or they backslide, and they go backwards, or they leave their faith altogether. And so could I ask you a question today? When was the last time that you've gone through something dark, and you were able to get through that wall and able to grow in your faith in Jesus? Has that happened? Because if the statistics are true, only 15% of us can get through a darkness and go deeper in our faith in God. And so when we look at John chapter 7, because we've been in the gospel of John this entire year, what you'll find is that you'll find that the people of God are going through a season of darkness in chapter 7. And the darkness that they're going through is Roman oppression. And because of that, they're celebrating. They're in this time called the, uh, the festival of the tabernacle. And as they're celebrating this, they're hoping that God would bring the Messiah to save them from Roman oppression. And here's the irony of it. They're going through this dark season. The Messiah is standing right in front of them, but they have no idea he's the Messiah because they're so entrenched in their darkness. They have no idea. Jesus in chapter 7 is going through a dark time. He shares in chapter 6 one of the most prolific teachings of who he is. He says, I am the bread of life. 
And when he shares that, he loses all of his disciples and all of his followers except for the 12. It was the worst day of Jesus' leadership, bar none. It was an incredible leadership fail if you talk to secular experts. He lost everyone that day. That's dark. It's so dark that Jesus decides, what do we do when we go through darkness? What do we think of when we're going through a hard time? If you're away from home, you want to go back home. And so he does. He goes to Galilee. He goes, hangs out at home with his mom and his brothers. And what does his brothers do when, he sees, when they see him? They're like, what are you doing? Go back to Jerusalem and get some more followers. You need to become famous. Go and do some miracles and grow your following because it's pitiful to see you in the state. I mean, that's tough. That's tough, isn't it? Jesus is going through a dark time. Not only that, but these religious leaders are trying to kill him now. They want to arrest him. I mean, how would, you be able to, how would you deal with life when you know that there's actually people trying to kill you, people trying to arrest you? It's a dark season. So what Jesus is going to do for us today is this. He's going to teach us how we can remain faithful in seasons of darkness. How you and I can learn to remain faithful when we're going through a dark season of life. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to John chapter 7. We're going to look at verses 25 to 44. John 7, 25 to 44. I just want you to put yourself in Jesus' situation, in these people's situation. They're struggling with darkness, all right? And yet the Messiah is standing right in front of them, but they're struggling. They're struggling to believe, all right? So let's look at verse 25. I'm reading from the New International Version. At that point, some of the people of Jerusalem began to ask, isn't this the man they're trying to kill? Here he is speaking publicly, and they're not saying a word to him. Have the authorities really concluded that he's the Messiah? But we know where this man is from. When the Messiah comes, no one will know where he is from. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, Yes, you know me and you know where I'm from. I'm not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him and he sent me. At this they tried to seize him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Still many in the crowd believed in him. They said, when the Messiah comes, will he perform more signs than this man? The Pharisees heard the crowd whispering such things about him. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees sent temple guards to arrest him. Jesus said, I'm with you for only a short time, and then I'm going to the one who sent me. You will look for me, but you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, where does this man intend to go that we cannot find him? Will he go where our people live scattered among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What did he mean when he said, you will look for me, but you will not find me? Where I am, you cannot come. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. He's talking about the resurrection. On hearing his words, some of the people said, surely this man is the prophet. Others said he's the Messiah. Still others asked, how can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the town where David lived? Thus the people were divided because of Jesus. Some wanted to seize him, but no one laid their hand on him. This is the word of God. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. Lord, I do believe there are people in this room today, those who might be watching online today, where darkness is surrounding them. They're in a season. It's not good. And so, God, I pray that this word would really encourage them 
I pray, God, that you would help us and prepare us because whether we might not be, if we're not in a season of darkness, it's going to come soon. It'll happen. Help us, Lord, to teach us how we can remain faithful in times of darkness, God. And so I pray that the words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this room, I pray, God, it would indeed be pleasing unto you. And it's in your name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. How do we remain faithful in times of darkness? How do we do it? You ready for this? First, we remain faithful in times of darkness when we learn to lean on God's authority. If you want to really remain faithful in a time of darkness, what authority are you leaning on? Seriously, what authority do you lean on when you go through a season of darkness? Are you leaning on God's authority or are there other types of authorities that you end up listening to? You see, that's a big challenge because typically when we're going through a dark time, I don't think a lot of us have this natural tendency to lean on the authority of God. And this is the game changer here. Hear me on this. This is the game changer. If you're not going to lean on God's authority, you don't have a chance. Because the reality is many of us, when we start to struggle with sin, we lean on so many other authorities. A lot of us will lean on the authority of our own sinful nature. And that is a dangerous, dangerous place to be. All right? Look at verse 28. Verse 28. Then Jesus, still teaching in the temple courts, cried out, yes, you know me. And you know where I'm from. I'm not here on my own authority, but he who sent me is true. You do not know him, but I know him because I am from him and he sent me. Do you realize what Jesus is saying here? Jesus is the son of God. Jesus has authority, but he's saying, I don't operate under my own authority. I am under the authority of God. And so we see this natural pattern for Jesus every time, especially when he's going through a hard time. He's leaning hard on the authority of God, and he's doing that even here, right? We see it also at Gethsemane, right? When he's at Gethsemane, what does Jesus do? He leans so hard on the authority of God. He tells his disciples, stay here and pray because my soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. And then he goes over to God, and he's being very honest and intimate with him. He's saying, I don't want to die. Let the cup pass. But then he says, but not my will, but may your will be done. And so what is Jesus doing at the garden? He's leaning on the authority of God, not as on his own authority. And that's important for you and I to understand that if Jesus leaned on the authority of God when he was going through a dark season of time, how much do you and I have to learn to lean on the authority of God? Amen? Amen. we got to learn to lean on the authority of God because God's authority is God's power. God's authority is God's power. When you lean on God's authority, you're learning to lean on God's power. But that's so difficult for us as Christians. Why is it so difficult? Because the majority of us, when we're going through a dark season of life, here's the thing that we struggle with the most. And this is it. If you want to learn to lean on the authority of God, this is what you've got to learn to do starting from today. So if you're going through a dark season, if you're watching and you're going through a dark season right now, you've got to learn to do this practice today. You know what it is? Deny yourself. You got to learn to deny yourself. You see, these people, these Jewish people, they could not wrap their minds around believing that Jesus is the Messiah because they couldn't deny their own presuppositions that they had of the Messiah. And so as a result of it, even though the Messiah was standing right in front of them, they couldn't do it because they had to first deny themselves for them to believe in this Messiah. And so if you want to get to a place where you can begin to tap into God's authority and his power when you're going through a dark period of time, what authority are you leaning on? Are you going to lean on God's authority? It doesn't happen if you're not willing to deny yourself. Now, what do you need to deny yourself of? <laughs> you ready for this? You're not going to like it. Some of you are going to hate me. Thank you. Thank you. You got to deny your emotions. 
Now here, I am not saying you cannot feel your emotions. I'm all about feeling emotions. All right? I'm all about that. But you can't let it rule you. Because when you go through a dark period of time, your emotions are jacked up. Your emotions about God is jacked up. Now, I'm not saying you can't feel it. Feel it. But don't be ruled by it. Because what happens is that when, and this is why, when we go through a season of darkness, it's the perfect landscape for Satan to destroy us. Why? Because when we go through a dark period of time, you know what our focus, where our focus lies? Just on us. We're too busy focusing on ourselves and no one else. And that's exactly what the enemy wants you when you're going through a dark period of time. He doesn't want you to take your eyes away from anyone else but yourself. And that's why when we go through a season of darkness, it has a way. It has a way of purging us from ourselves. If you lean on God's authority. If you're willing to deny even your own emotions. You see, the problem for a lot of us, like I'm just speaking from my own perspective. But when I go through darkness, sin looks so attractive. I mean, it looks delicious. It's like, to me, it's like a, 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 bro- a hot brownie a la mode. That's what it's like to me. I love a hot brownie a la mode. It's like my favorite dessert. When you're going through a dark period of time, you're just thinking about yourself. And sometimes we think that addictive sinful patterns is going to help you. It's not going to help you. It will numb you, but it will lead you into a deeper level of darkness. You're playing into the hands of Satan. And when you and I go through a season of darkness, one of the most beautiful things that happens is that it has a way of purging us so that we stop worshiping our emotions. You gotta stop worshiping your emotions. God doesn't want you to to worship your emotions. You put it up as such an authority that you have reverence, so much reverence for it. I'm not saying you can't feel your emotions, but you can't let it rule you. And here's the thing, and this is the thing about darkness. You may not want to hear this, but there are things and there are truths and there are. There's a love and a mercy and a grace that you encounter with God when you go through a season of darkness that you can't when you're not in that darkness. And that's what's hard. When you go through a season of darkness, you're going to learn. If you can learn to deny yourself and lean on God's power, lean on God's authority during that time, you will learn things about God that you can never learn when you're not going through the darkness. There is something so rich and so real that you're going to learn about God that you can never learn when you're not going through it. And that's why later on, you can see years later, you can see the goodness of what that darkness is has done for your life if you're willing to lean on God's power. And that's what Paul says here in Romans 5, 3 to 5. Look at what he says. He says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. See, Paul says, we can glory in our sufferings. Why? Because you're going to learn truths about God that you've never learned. And what that's going to do is going to deepen your character, your perseverance, your hope. And you no longer will struggle with shame because you'll see what God can do in your life. The power of God works. His authority works in our lives in a powerful way if you are willing to lean into it in a time of darkness. But you've got to learn to deny yourself. Deny your emotions. Because some of you worship your emotions way too much. Uh, about 12 of us went out to South Africa, ooh, went out to South Africa uh, a couple weeks ago, and um, 
We had a really great time. Two of the people are from the church. They were our elders. They went out to South Africa. I think we have a picture up there that we'll show. And we had a really great time. Most of the people that came with me were not from this church. They were actually outside the church. We had the principal come with us from the school here. She had a really great time. My good friend Preston from Englewood, he pastors Ebenezer Baptist Church. He came out and a couple folks from our denomination, some other people from the Midwest came out. It was a really, really great time that we had. And, uh, you know, Audrey, Audrey Matamello is the executive director of Zamele. And if you go to the next photo, you'll see who she is. That's Angie on the left. Isn't South Africa beautiful? Look at that shot. That's beautiful, right? Uh, Audrey is on the right. She, she's the founder of Zamela Way Too. And I shared with you years ago, and even recently I shared with you that, uh, you know, years ago there was a threat to her life. Somebody actually tried to take her life. And uh, they threatened her first through phone calls. And, you know, you get those threats. You don't really know if it's real, but somebody actually tried to take her life. They cut her brakes in her car, right? And so uh, they were hoping that she would get into a, a fatal accident while she was driving down a hill and all that kind of stuff. All right, so I just thought that that was it, that that was just like a one-time occurrence. Went out to South Africa, and she told me that, no, the threats continue. She's, her life continues to be threatened, not just her life, but her family as well. And I'm just thinking, that's crazy. And, of course, like and as an American, I'm just thinking, are you okay? Are you okay? Let me show you the next person, Mama Gita. That is Mama Gita. She is a rock star in Kuzulu Natal. She's on staff at Zamele Waitu. And uh, she is just an amazing human being. And she does, she oversees agriculture. And what she does is that she's such an amazing farmer. And she's teaching women and men as well how to farm. If they want to be farming vegetation, she'll teach them how to learn about the soil, how to produce good crops, not just to feed your family, but then to have a surplus that you can sell it to, to the community and make a living. Or if you want to do, be a farmer of livestock, you can do that as well. She teaches them how to be a, a chicken farmer. And she's teaching us, like, the, the, how do you breed different chickens and all that kind of stuff. Her education and her knowledge is crazy. And we were at her farm, and she was showing us these 54 macadamia nut trees that she had planted. And you know how expensive macadamia nuts are. Even at Costco's, macadamia nuts are expensive, all right? Now, macadamia nuts in South Africa is crazy expensive. All right? And so she's showing this group of 12 these macadamia nuts, but they're not ready to harvest. We just, they're just little trees. And she said, they'll be ready for harvest next May. And she says, you may not know this, but I am stinking rich. <laughs> it was just so cool for her. So we just kept using that term, stinking rich, the whole time. She's also an engineer. Not, not, she doesn't have a degree but she figured out a way to, to make a dam in an area called Masinga where water is so scarce, where the people in that community, they didn't have, they struggled to get enough water to drink for themselves, so they can't even think about having, you know, crops like vegetation, being a farmer, or having livestock because they don't have enough water for even themselves. What, how can they feed water to their livestock? And so she created, she created a way where she engineered a dam. It's so, it's so, it's ingenious so that when the water comes down from the mountain, it's able to trap some of the water where the people are, so they have water. I mean, she's really amazing. And so she really is a hero. And so, you know, we came back uh, from South Africa, and about a day later, uh, Audrey texts our group to pray for her because her son had been shot in the face. And he lost, thank God he's alive, but he lost an eye. And she said, would you please pray? And I'm just thinking like, man, I mean, how is she? We checked in, you know, with Audrey to see how she's doing. I check in on Audrey, how you're doing? 
And here's the thing about people, I, I think like people like Audrey and Magita and, and those folks is this. Darkness is not an abnormality to them, like the way we see it. When we go through a dark period of time, we treat it like this is foreign thing that it should not be happening in our lives. In many ways, it's not that they look forward to it. It's not like they, they even they, they want to embrace it, but they understand that it's a part of life. And what they're able to do, what's amazing is they're able to lean on God's power and his authority when they go through seasons of darkness. And because one of the things I've learned about these women that they're so good at is they just know how to deny themselves where they will not allow their emotions to own them. And so if you're going through a dark season of life, it's normal. Stop treating it like an abnormality. Stop blaming God for it. Welcome in part of it. Learn to deny yourself a little bit and welcome him into the journey and see how powerful your God can become in your life and in my life. Amen? got to get there. We're like these spoiled Christians. We're like, why is this happening to me? Why not? We all go through stuff. Guys, this is not heaven. I wish it was. One day we will go and we will never encounter darkness. But because this world is so broken, because of sin, darkness pervades, unfortunately, and we go through it. But we have hope because if we lean on God's power, we can get through anything. We could be like Paul, that we will glory in our sufferings. That's my hope and prayer for every single one of you. The last thing in how we remain faithful in times of darkness is when we learn to lean on the Holy Spirit. You've got to learn to lean on the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 37. Verse 37, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the spirit had not yet been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Now that was up to them. But for every single one of us here, because Christ has died on the cross and resurrected from the dead, we now have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been given to us. Jesus shared this on the last day of the festival. And each day of the festival, there was a water ceremony. The water ceremony was a critical part to the festival of the tabernacle. And the water ceremony was really twofold. They did this twofold. One was this. During the festival of the tabernacles, during the season of autumn, fall. It was the fall season. As a result of that, uh, it didn't rain much in Jerusalem during that time, in the Middle East. And so the water ceremony was huge because they were praying to God for rain. They were hoping that God would be, bless them with rain during the autumn season. But the main reason, the main reason why they celebrated uh, the Festival of Tabernacle, had this rich celebration of water every single day, it was the rich symbolism that God is the one who brings forth life. That they celebrated this, that they remembered that when they were in the wilderness for 40 years, when they left Egypt, what did God do? How did God bring forth water from them at times? He brought water from rocks. He brought life to them from every place, the most desecrated, the most, hard, the, the, the most uh, challenging places in their life, in their circumstances. God always brought life. He brought water for them. And so they celebrated the water. And the water festival was critical to be reminding them that God is the one who gives life. Now Jesus, when he makes this statement, when he says, come, I am the living water, he's declaring that he's God. Just like in chapter 6 when he said, I'm the bread of life. 
He's making that powerful statement. Jesus wants us to understand that God's living water is the Holy Spirit. That when you and I go through darkness, we lean on the authority of God, which is his power, right? But we also learn to lean on the Holy Spirit, which is our guide. The Holy Spirit will guide us through some of the most difficult circumstances of our lives. And the challenge is, will you and I allow the Holy Spirit to be an intimate part of our lives? Every single one of you, if you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. It's something that's been given to you as a gift. But will you access the Holy Spirit? Will you let the Holy Spirit grow in greater authority in your life and in my life? Sometimes I hear Christians say, I'm scared of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you are. I just want to remind you, if that's what you think, if you're in a place today where you feel like you're afraid of the Holy Spirit, I just want you to know that is not coming from you. That is a spirit of the Antichrist. Why are you afraid of the Holy Spirit when Jesus says it's living water for your soul? There is no reason for you to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. And when you're going through a dark time, don't be scared of the Holy Spirit. Lean on it. Lean on the Holy Spirit. How do we do that? How do we lean on the Holy Spirit? You ready for this? Just got to obey the Bible. If you really want to lean on the Holy Spirit during a dark time, you got to be committed to obeying the Bible. The Bible is critical. Here, verse 37, verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Now, you hear us talk quite a bit about how important obedience is. In fact, IJ talked about a few weeks ago that if we don't obey God, the drawback, it, it doesn't affect your salvation necessarily, but what it, what it affects is your intimacy with God. And that's really it. When you and I are choosing not to obey God in the word, uh, when we're going through a dark period of time, what we're doing basically is we're choosing not to activate the Holy Spirit in our lives, and we're going to be struggling in our times of darkness, all right? And so we got to be committed to obeying God in the Bible. The best way I could say this, because I know a lot of you read the Bible, but I'm talking about obeying the things in the Bible. we got to do the best we can to obey the the commandments of God in the Bible. If you're not reading the Bible, uh, you're not really reading the Bible if you're not obeying it. You can read the Bible all you want. I mean, some, some of us are in this New Testament challenge. You can read it all you want, but if you're not making a conscious decision to say, you know what, I want to obey the word of God. I want to dedicate my life to doing the best I can to obey it. You're not really reading the Bible. You're not. You know what Paul says about the Bible when you and I really believe in the Bible? He says that it's actually the sword of the Spirit. That the Bible is the sword of the Spirit. Ephesians 6, 17. You guys should have read it this week if you're doing the New Testament channel. Look at what he says. He says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of, and the, sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. He's saying that when you're going through battle, when you're going through a dark time, he says, take the helmet of salvation, and take your sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. When you and I are going through darkness, when we're going through your dark time, there is a battle that's happened that you don't even know. There's a battle that's happening. And Paul is saying the best thing you need to do is take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That when you and I are committed to reading the word of God, but saying that I'm going to do my best to obey, God doesn't expect perfection from us. Please, don't think that I'm telling you that you got to be sinless. No, that's not it. God knows you're going to sin. God knows that you'll be disobedient, but then you do what the Bible tells you to do. You truly repent. You repent. 
But do you know that when you and I can lead our lives, when we can do our best to obey God's commandments in the Bible, it'll lead to a life of peace, life of joy, no matter what circumstances we find ourselves in, even during the darkest times in our life. That God will be there with us. The Holy Spirit will be activated in that way. And we see that happening with, uh, with Jesus. Because remember when he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and the devil was tempting him? What did Jesus use to fight off the devil? You guys know the stories. He used the Bible. The Bible is the sword of the spirit. And so for the Bible to really be significant in your lives, it never becomes significant unless you're willing to obey it. If you're not willing to obey, you could read it as many times as you want, but it's not going to really work much. See, darkness, when we go through a season of darkness, you've got to learn to lean on the Holy Spirit, but that doesn't happen if we're not willing to obey God. Paul actually says that when we live a life of disobedience, he says the spirit of the devil is in you. Look at what he says in Ephesians 2.2. Ephesians 2.2. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He is a spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey him. I'm going to read that again. You used to live in sin just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers in the unseen world. He, the devil, the devil is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. I don't know, but you know what? There are a lot of Christians that I've met over the years where they get to a period of darkness, they refuse to obey God. They just refuse. And when that happens, the power of darkness is overwhelming you. I... I, I, I worry sometimes about Christians today. Sometimes I think because I'm just old. But when I meet sometimes these Christians, some of these young Christians, when I say young, even like age-wise young, I just, it baffles me because the less you're in the Bible, you don't know the values and how God wants you to live your life. And then we take our cues from the world. And I'm just blown away sometimes at how Christians are living so contrarian to how God may want them to live in the Bible. And it doesn't even bother them. Because they don't even care about obeying the Bible. Some of you don't even care about it. And that's why a lot of times, you don't even, honestly, you don't think the Bible is going to help you to grow and lean on the Holy Spirit. But you're never going to know the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit in your life if you're not willing to obey the Bible. And I worry about Christians today. Because they're, they're not in the word, I think, that even like my generation. I know my parents' generation, they, they probably said that about us. You guys are not in the word the way we are. And then their parents' generation said that about them. I mean, it gets worse and worse and worse. I hope that even though we live in a very developed country like this, that you'll begin to realize that without the word of God, if you don't make a conscious effort to obey it, you're never going to know how to get out of a dark period of your life. It's going to end up owning you to the point where the spirit of the Antichrist will live inside of you and encourage you to live a life completely contrarian to God. I bet you all of you know at least a few people who've done that. So, you know, today is Father's Day, and um, yesterday, my wife, my kids, and I, and my mom, we went to my father's grave. Uh, he passed away about eight, eight and a half years ago or so. And we try to go every Father's Day and just to remember, and this was us many years ago. Uh, this is my father in nursing home, and, you know, my kids were so much younger back then. Now they're, they're big, they're adults, but this, is, this was him, and he was, you know, we would visit him. We try to visit him at least once or twice a month, and uh, look how small they were, and Kayla didn't even have teeth back then. And, uh, right? and we would go and be with him and just spend some time with him. And uh, if, there was, 
If I could name a human being that has contributed to the most amount of darkness in my family's life, meaning my sisters and I, my mom, it's unfortunately my father. There is nobody on the face of this planet that contributed to more darkness than my father. And you know, some of you know the story. And it was a hard season of life for him and for us living in a home with him. Whenever he would get drunk when we were little kids, like around that age, uh, he was a very violent person physically to myself, to my sisters, to my mother. Didn't know what to do. As a little child, you don't know how to process any of that stuff when your father is violent like that. And, and, I, and I still remember one of the darkest periods for me, but it was a turning point for me, was when I was in college. My sister had shared with me that my father had abused her sexually when she was a little kid. I had no idea because I was so little. And uh, I remember when I got off the phone with her, I said, you know what? I'm going to kill him. And my father slept in the living room floor every day by himself. And I went downstairs. I grabbed the kitchen knife, and I was about eight steps away from killing him. I was so angry because all this man did was hurt our family. I had no idea what he did to my sister. And it was one of those desperate moments of darkness with God, grappling, grappling with the reality that I wanted to take the life of my own father. I put the knife down, and I ended up sitting. He was sleeping. He didn't even hear me. He was sleeping. And I just sat in the couch probably for about a good hour or so, and I just vented to God and cried and said, God, why did you have to give us a man like this as our father who contributed to so much darkness in my family? And I really heard from God at that moment. He said, well, you got to get to know this man a little bit more. You don't know him. You don't even know his story. And from that point on, we started a relationship where I tried to learn more about him that, and I started to understand his brokenness more. It didn't make what he did to us right, but allowed me to really forgive him and see him as my father again. And so we started having a much better relationship. And then he passed away about eight years ago. And I wanted to say it was a very healthy relationship that we had. But I don't know why God is doing this to me. But in the last week or so, during my prayer time, he keeps bringing this memory back to me. And I had even forgotten about it. And here's the memory. And I'm asking him, why are you doing this to me? You see, my father lived in a nursing home for eight years. And for those eight years, he didn't want to go into a nursing home at the beginning. My father's incredibly stubborn. And I don't blame him. Do you want to live in a nursing home? Nobody wants to live in a nursing home. Nobody says, when I get older, I want to live in a nursing home. My father never said that. And the only way we were able to get him into nursing home was that my mom had to get surgery. And my mom couldn't care for my father. My father was not well. He had Parkinson's disease. He had a major issue with incontinence. And so my mom had to always clean up after him and all that kind of stuff. And so during that surgery, I, I said to my father, I said, Dad, listen, you know mom's not going to be able to take care of you. It's going to take her like, you know, three to six months for her to fully heal. So can you please go to the nursing home? And I promise you that in like three to six months, I'll take you out. But just go in there for three to six months. And he fought me. He didn't want to do it, but he finally said yes. But he says, you promise you're going to take me out? I said, yeah, I promise. And you guys know I didn't. And what happened was is that I was going to take him out, and we decided to take him out on vacation with the whole family and, uh, at, at a hotel in Wildwood. And uh, he had an episode there. We had a struggle with incontinence, and it, like the hotel staff came, and it was just a, it was a scene. And I saw the stress on my mother's eyes. I saw how much she was struggling. because She had to clean all that stuff up in front of the hotel staff, and it was just ugly. They treated, they treated and I don't blame them, but they were so angry. They were so mean to my mother as a result of this and to us as a result of what my father did. And my sister pulled me inside and said, you can't, you can't bring dad back. And I said, but I, I promised him. He said, Peter, if you bring mom back, 
If you bring dad back, mom's going to be the one to die first. She can't handle it. Look at the stress she has right now. And we talked about it for about 30 minutes or so, and I said, you're right, Al. I can't bring dad back. And so we brought him back to the nursing home, and the next week I picked him up, and it was in Norwood. I took him to the Palisade Center Mall. And I said, Dad, I'm really sorry. I can't take you out of nursing home. And he looked at me and he said, why? And I said, Dad, look at what happened last week. I can't take you out. I'm sorry. And he said, but you promised, Peter. You promised. I said, Dad, I'm sorry. I can't take you out. I said, well, come visit you regularly. We'll take you out once a month and bring you to the house so that you can spend some time at home. But I said, Dad, we just can't because Mom just doesn't have the ability to take care of you. He didn't say one word to me after that. He was just silent. I took him back to the nursing home. He didn't even say goodbye to me. And he went back. I've forgotten about that time. And I don't know why God is bringing that up to me during my prayer. I'm like, God, why are you bringing this up to me now? Because I feel horrible and he's dead. I can't even process it with him. And here's what I think God is trying to show me. I'm, I'm actually going to a monastery tomorrow afternoon. I'm going to spend a couple of days praying through this. But here's the thing I think what God is showing me. Sometimes when we're going through a dark period of time, we're so consumed by our darkness that we forget the darkness that we've created for other people. And sometimes we don't even care about it. We forget it. And I don't know why God wants me to remember this terrible moment in my life with my dad. But he wants me to feel the pain that I caused him. Because sometimes when we go through a dark period of time, we're so consumed by our own darkness that we forget about the darkness that we've created for the people we love the most. And so like this week, I just I went to Jenny and I just said, hey, when do I hurt you the most, honey? And I actually thought she was going to say, wow, well, that's a good question. You know, give me a couple days and I'll get back to you on that one. <laughs> I really thought she was going to say that to me. Less than a second. She just started throwing stuff out. Boom, 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 boom. And I'm like, clearly you've thought about this for a while. I'm only going to share one. She shared a lot. But the one thing she said is this. She said, hey, you know what really hurts me? Is when I'm talking to you and you walk away from me and I have to follow you from room to room to talk to you. Because you're so busy. Your mind is going like crazy. And you can't just sit and listen to me. Now I wanted to say, well, that's because I got ADHD. <laughs> but I remained quiet. And I said, that really hurts you, huh? She's like, yeah. Because it doesn't show me that you really think I'm worthy to sit down and listen to. Hmm. Sometimes we're so consumed in our own darkness, we forget about the darkness we've created around those that we love. If you don't remain faithful in a time of darkness, what's going to end up happening is you're going to end up hurting the people you end up loving the most. And many times, it's not just your family, but the person you end up hurting the most is you. 
and of course God. And so will you lean on God's authority today? Will you learn to deny yourself so that you don't let your emotions rule you? And will you stop bowing down and worshiping your emotions? And you deny yourself to the point where you say, God, I'm going to lean on you. And will you lean on the Holy Spirit by making a conscious desire today, whatever I can do, God, I'm going to obey your word. So I think when you do that, God will help you to remain faithful in a time of darkness. Let's bow our heads for a moment of prayer. You got to make a decision today. I can't make it for you. You got to just say, God, I'm going to remain faithful now. Because some of you are going through a dark period of time. And rather than treating like a, like a foreign thing or an abnormality, you got to just learn to embrace it and let God be a part of it. Let God be a part of that journey. Rather than keep blaming him for it. So will you lean on his authority right now? Will you deny yourself to the point where you're not going to let your emotions rule you? You'll feel it, yes. But you're going to submit yourself to the authority of God. And will you commit yourself to leaning on the Holy Spirit by saying, God, it's been hard. And will you stop using God's grace as an excuse for you to sin? And will you say, I'm going to do my best now to not let my sinful nature take over. And I'm going to obey your word. So this is a decision you have to make today before you leave here. And I hope that you will. Will you welcome God and say, God, I'm going to lean on your authority. I'm going to lean on the Holy Spirit. I'm going to give you a moment to do that and I'm going to pray for us. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that our suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. So God, help us to remain faithful to you. Teach us that there's no better place to be than when we lean on your authority when we lean on the Holy Spirit during a dark season of life. And I pray for my brothers and sisters who are going through a dark season of life. I pray, God, that you would work within them in such a way, God, that they would learn to see you even outside of their emotions, that they would learn to connect with you even though they don't want to connect with you emotionally, that they would learn to depend upon you in every circumstances of their life. And as a result of it, Lord, may they know the power of God in their lives, not just with their minds, but with their hearts. Bless them. I pray for a special impartation of your spirit to be upon those who've committed themselves today to remain faithful in a time of darkness. Thank you for their lives. Thank you, God, that you're there for us. Thank you that we have such an exemplary model like Jesus to follow in times of darkness. So we thank you, Lord, for this time. In your name we pray. Amen.